You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hello, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. I'm Nicole Lakin. And I'm Tim Warden. And today we have part two of our discussion surrounding the disappearance of equine veterinarians. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to mention to anybody who is listening in the month of October, 2022, we just kicked off the 2022 Equine Regenerative Medicine Summit um, presented by the Equine High Performance Sports Group. It's an amazing bringing together of perspectives in human equine and this year also canine medicine to discuss the latest discoveries around the use of orthobiologics and regenerative medicine. It's really unlike anything else that you find and it is race certified. So if you're looking for some uh, continuing education credits, you can definitely take advantage of that as well. So if you haven't already, I recommend you check that out at equineregenerativesummit.com. Really excited to share this conversation today. It brings a new perspective on the the issue that we're discuss- discussing. <laughs> um, and we'll definitely talk about it more uh, in, the, in the interview that you're about to hear. But uh, everybody, I encourage you, if you're listening to this episode within uh, the month of October 2022, please go to the show notes and click on the link to the survey. Um, our guest, Dr. Itika Elte is um, doing some really valuable research that you'll hear more about and all horse owners and veterinarians and grooms and anybody that interacts with um, an equine veterinarian should definitely go and contribute to this survey because it's going to hopefully shed a lot of light on the challenges that we're facing. Dr. Itika Elta is an experienced equine veterinarian with a special interest in equine ambulatory work. Within the Equine University Clinic at Utrecht University, she's responsible for the management of the Equine Ambulatory Clinic. Itika is involved as a course coordinator and teacher in educating veterinary students about practice management and the personal and communication skills necessary to be successful as an equine veterinarian. In her research, she focuses on the human side of equine veterinary practice. She's also active as an official veterinarian for the FEI and is a member of multiple expert commissions on equine welfare. Hello, Etika, and welcome to the Sport Horse Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. So as head of the Equine Ambulatory Clinic at Utrecht University, you're observing these interactions between numerous veterinarians and owners in a variety of scenarios. And this is from just the standard checkups to really stressful emergency situations. So what behavioral traits need to be in place for successful interaction between veterinarians and clients? I think that, that one of the most important things is, is that we are interested in our clients and that we are interested in listening to their worries and their concerns. And um, so I think that may be the, the most important thing. And I think it's really important that you, as a veterinarian, you understand what these horse people in, in, in the whole diversity that is available in horse people, um, that you know what's going on and how important things can be to them um, in relationship in the relationship with their horses and being either emotion emotionally or monetary or performance wise or whatever but but understand what these people are going through and then I think things will become much easier because you will understand better 
what's going on and you will be able to react to um, to yeah, to people and to their behavior. So within that, with the people that you're training and teaching, when a horse and their owner shows up at the clinic or when you go to meet them at the farm, uh, is there a standard checklist you're looking for to ask those probing questions right away to get a feel for what is going on in the owner's mind? Or is it something that's a little bit innate for a veterinarian? Um, no, it, it's not really a checklist, but but when you look at consulting, there is sort of a, a standard procedure that you can go through. And it's always when you arrive somewhere or you meet someone at your clinic, you have to sort of check in with them, make a little eye contact, say hi. And of course, it's a different situation when you know you have known people for 10 years. I've had clients, I've, I've, I've come there for, for 10 years or over 10 years and we just know each other. So we just say hi and how's the weather and, and how are you doing? And that's of course different than when you have someone come into the clinic that has never been there before and that you have never met before. But at some point you need to make a connection with them. Um, so I think that's the most important thing. And just check out why you're here. Are, are you all on the same page? Is it correct that you come from a four horse that's lame or <laughs> and they can correct you if you're wrong, that maybe now this was the horse that was coughing or um, something like that. So just check if, if you're all on the same page, um, if you're there, what you're supposed to be for, for what you think you're supposed to be doing. And then you can correct or, or um, change uh, as you go along or change your approach according to what the owner says. So it's not a, a checklist, it's more a procedure. And, and I think the longer you do this, the, the more it's, it's, um, it becomes your nature. But that is sure. something that we, yeah, that we teach our students as well, that we try to teach them, you know, follow a certain, well, pro I don't like protocols in communication, but <laughs> follow a, a certain sequence. What do you call that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's, that makes a lot of sense and, and sounds like great advice. You, you mentioned, um, uh, teaching your students. And I feel like that's a really nice segue uh, into uh, our discussion about sort of the future of equine veterinarians. So um, in our in our last episode, we had Dr. Erica Latcher on to discuss um, the topic of disappearing equine vets in North America. This issue doesn't seem to be quite as large in Europe, but um, what are you seeing with respect to equine veterinarians leaving the field? No, I think it's correct. We don't see, we don't have a problem that's as, as, as huge as it is at the, in North America at this moment, but we also see people leaving um, equine practice or veterinary practice in general. And I think it primarily has to do with maybe not knowing, maybe having the wrong expectations of what it's going to be like to be a veterinarian or to be an equine veterinarian. We, we have seen uh, students pick out the equine track, maybe because they have been riding in a riding school or had a, a, a pony that they took care of. And it's it's really different if you own a horse or, or take care of it and working as an equine or a primarily equine veterinarian, it's just different. And um, I think not being prepared well enough, maybe, or, or having the wrong expectations can be a reason to leave. It can be tough. It can be a tough job. You you work with large animals, with with people, with with demanding clients. Yeah. 
So I'd like to dig into that a little more, you know, with Dr. Latcher, some of the things that we sort of talked about as, as possible causes of the problem in North America were a lack of exposure to horses in general um, for people uh, and the, the, toughness of the job itself and and people sort of struggling to find some balance in their life. And I kind of hear both of those things coming up, but the I'm curious if you think that that, that lack of exposure is something that doesn't exist as much in Europe, and that could be part of the, the reason why it's not as big of a problem, or if you have other thoughts. I think it depends a little bit on where you are. But I think if you look at our little small country, I think we have the highest horse density in the world. Um, So people are, well, not maybe really connected to horses, but there are horses around. If you drive through the country, you will meet a horse, um, I think, within a 10, 15 minute drive, either because they're in the field or um, so. I'm not sure if that is the problem in Europe. I think the other thing you mentioned or that was discussed is the the toughness of the job. I think that's uh, a whole different thing. I think it's it's it can be tough. I think it is also as tough as you make it. I think we can do things to make it less tough as a veterinary community and think about how we can make this demanding job more. Um, uh, accessible or make a better life balance. I, I love the term life, more like life balance than a work-life balance. I think we have to be much more flexible in how we organize our lives. That's a really interesting point and I think uh, a really important one to, to dive into more. So looking at that life balance, what types of things do you think could be done in a typical equine practice to address some of these issues so that people do want to enter the field and as well, they want to stay in the field for their entire career. Like, what changes do you think are, are sort of low hanging fruit that can be done by almost any equine veterinarian? Attention to people that have, um, well, I'm going to say high demanding things in their personal lives, but but at least give them an opportunity to organize their personal lives just ask yourself why you want to start out every morning at 7 30 or 8 o'clock and why not organize a, a time slot where people with young children are able to take them to daycare or when they're able to pick them up from school um, if you give people a little bit more freedom and autonomy about how they spend their time i think that alone would make it less stressful for um, a lot of people. Um, so this is, for instance, for, for people with, with young families. And of course, you need to make sure that your on-call service and that your emergency service, that it's all covered. But if you can divide that load um, uh, amongst each other, that, make it, that can make it a, a much more um, doable. It's not like we don't make the hours as an equine veterinarian. So I don't think anyone has to be afraid of people not putting in the amount of time that they should, but it would just help. Um, I think one of the other things is mentoring young young vets. And 
I think that's a big danger now when with with the shortage of veg- shortage of uh, veterinarians is that that is one of the first things that becomes that, that that comes under pressure because you need mentoring takes time if you have a young veterinarian it takes time to help them to guide them to teach them the things necessary to perform in practice and of course when everybody's busier than they should be uh, that's difficult and that but that can put this huge strain on our young vets. And yeah, I can imagine that they can't keep up. That's that's really interesting. And, and just circling back to the mentorship, um, I, I hear what you're saying about it for, ta- for sure takes a lot of time, like I can't imagine, and especially when you're so busy juggling everything else in the practice. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, like, do you think that that mentorship component also helps to inject a little bit of energy into practices or or I guess said differently yeah I I think yeah I think it could I think if you have young and enthusiastic veterinarians that bring a lot of new knowledge and new skills and and they're fresh out of college if you mentor them well they can get a huge workload off your back but it does take time investment and um I think the most important thing is because they know all the skills, you know, they know, they, they know the books, they know the theory, but the whole, the whole thing of getting that, that into practice is what gives them stress. And they are so afraid of doing things wrong. They, they have to learn how to handle uh, when you don't have a, a, a solid diagnosis, which is in a lot of cases, um, it's what's going on. Sometimes you just don't know what's going on and you're out there on your own and you need to make a plan. So be available to them. Make sure that, that if they want to call you, that they can pick up the phone and just call you because most of the time you don't need to go out and help them. They'll be fine, but they just want to double check with you if it's okay or how your practice protocols are or um, maybe just to check. That's Really interesting. And I, I want to circle back for a second to something that you said uh, about equine veterinarians making their own schedules pretty much outside of being on call and, and whatnot. Um, something that we talked about with Dr. Latcher was the the generational divide and and sort of the, the old guard um, that expects, you know, sort of 24 de- seven sort of devotion to the practice and um not a lot of work-life balance isn't really uh, in in their vocabulary, uh, and the difference between the the younger generations coming up and their expectations of their job, of the the balance between their career and their home life. So, do you see a similar generational divide? And if so, what are your ideas of of how to bridge that um, and and sort of solve both the chicken the chicken or the egg problem of of people yeah. being afraid to get into the practice because yeah. of the lack of the perceived yeah. lack of balance um and also people who are in it creating that for themselves and advocating for themselves yeah i think the last thing you you said is is also a big well i think maybe a threat because we we talk so much about work life balance and and things not being okay is that it will definitely become a self-fulfilling prophecy when you go into practice because things will not always be fun it will not always be nice it will sometimes be difficult and we always as human beings 
have the tendency to focus on everything that is not okay. <laughs> so I think there's also a danger in, in it becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, on the other end, I think that a lot of older vets, make your definition about what is older, but um, maybe sometimes forgot how it was to be a young veterinarian. I can remember that when I started out in practice that one of the things I remember most is what, that one of my senior uh, colleagues, he said, you know what? We've all been there and we all had to learn and we all turned out okay. And I think that sometimes just realizing that you have these young people that need guidance is a thing. Um, and when you go to the generational difference, I think that, that in retrospect, maybe 20 years ago, we would have wanted a better life, work-life balance. So we have to be careful that it's not going to become like we did. We never had this, so you won't either. Um, <laughs> because then we never get, get out of this um, cycle. And the other thing that's going on is that a lot of people, especially people that have been in the profession longer, are either practice owners, practice managers, and they have a lot of autonomy about how they um, fill in their days and how they spend their hours. So that will, will they have this employer, this employer bonus. It's just that you have um, more, yeah, they called it in a scientific, more of a locus of control about what you're doing in a day. So the, it changes as well, because for a young veterinarian employer, it's, it's different for, than for a senior, Oh, sorry, employee, than for a, a senior employer. And I think we have to understand both sides. I think the younger generation should understand where the older generation is coming from and the responsibilities that they have. Because if you have a, a clinic and you have people depend on you and your business for their lives and for the support and for their families, that's a huge responsibility. I don't think a lot of employees... Can, can see that bigger picture. And on the other hand, I think that as employers, you have to understand that these employees are not business owners. So they will always have a different relationship to, to their work. It, it goes for veterinary practice. It goes for all lines of work. So I think a little bit of understanding both ways will go a long way in fixing things. Yeah, I think that's really important. And in regards to your um, advice about, you know, coaching young veterinarians and and trying to um, support them and, and remembering, you know, as as a, a mentor, as an as a more, uh, I'll say, as a veterinarian who's been practicing for longer, um, no no age limits, no no, spe no specifics here. Um, I, I think that we can all agree, like communication is critical in any environment, and that. That means both internally within the practice and also externally with clients. So how do you recommend coaching young veterinarians to communicate with clients, uh, especially in the clinic environment? They often arrive at the clinic stressed and, and unsure of the prognosis, prognosis of their horse. And those communications, as you mentioned earlier, can be really crucial both to um, set the expectations and to manage the and build the relationship for the long term. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting one. I think because when you want to coach your young vets in their 
um, communication skills, you have to first be skilled yourself. And if we have in um, medical communication, you have a thing and that is called shared decision making, for instance. And that is where you, um, as, a, um, as a physician or as a veterinarian, you become part or you make your, your owner or the patient part of their own treatment plan. And you discuss with them what could be the best solution for their situation. But that is something that you need to learn. And we now try and teach that to students in, the, in their masters. But when they leave school and they enter practice and they have examples that have never heard of shared decision making or how that's done or then it's difficult. So you need to set, as, as, as an older vet, you need to set an example, but which is difficult because no one ever taught you how to do that. And so that's where it becomes a little bit exciting in how are you going to coach them through handling these clients because you can only teach them how you do it, but it may not necessarily be the best way to do it. So I I think for all young vets and for all uh, students or people entering veterinary medicine is just really have the the attention for your for your patient owners or or the, the person or the groom or the whoever is with the horse and listen to them listen to what they expect and what they need what will they do with the horse what will they expect the horse to do in the future can it be a pasture pet or does it need to be a high performer that can make a huge difference um uh, if in if someone will be satisfied with the outcome of treatment, for instance, um, and tell them uh, a realistic cost estimation, I think that's an important thing for young <laughs> vets as well to learn what things cost and and, and how to explain that to people. Because we always hear, ah, oh, they th people think it's way too expensive. We know from research that that's usually not the case, but they just need to know and they need to make an informed decision. So you mentioned research and I definitely want to make sure we have plenty of time to get into that. But before we do, uh, you were just talking about decision-making and the importance of, you know, learning the, the, the proper ways to help your client um, help guide them to, to make the decision. And, and usually it's a team. It's usually, you know, a, a vet, sometimes a farrier, a trainer, um, sometimes a groom and, and the horse owner and sometimes even a rider. So uh, yeah. I think that um, that decision-making component is, is really important. Um, before the vet even arrives, sometimes riders and trainers already have a perception of what the horse might need. Yeah. So uh, how do you sort of recalibrate that uh, to help make, help guide the decision-making process um, and and make sure that the therapies that are provided are driven by clinical examinations and and taking into account the insight of the people who are interacting with the horse or the patient, yeah. you know, all the time. But um, maybe helping to um, make sure that science is is guiding the the decision making ultimately. Yep. Yeah, I think I think the most important thing is again here is is listening and listen to what they say because. We know, we know that people or, or horse owners or people surrounding the horse, they, they at least think they know what's best for their horse or they believe to know what is best for their horse. 
So at least listen to what they think is best for their horse. But they would never have called you if they really, really knew 300% for sure. So they called you because they need your veterinary expertise, or at least I hope <laughs> they need your veterinary expertise as well. So listen to them, process what you've heard, and then go from there. Because you have been through vet school and you know how to do a clinical examination. Always take the client seriously. Always, always listen to them. Even when you think, I can't see anything wrong with this horse, then somehow the client thinks there is. So pretty, pretty good chance that something is wrong. Um, just because you can't find it doesn't mean there's nothing wrong. Um, but also communicate with them about what they think is best for the horse and what you believe to be best for the horse. And then go from there. And I'm, I'm sure that in most cases, you will find each other somewhere in the middle. That, that's really interesting. And it's really fun to listen to you, you talk. So I think you definitely have a, a unique perspective. And I wanted to chat a little bit more about your research and what you're working on. Uh, as I understand it, it really is trying to create some clarity surrounding this interaction between the clients and the veterinarians, right? And, and trying to better understand both sides of the equation so that there isn't so much um, miscommunication and that things do move more slowly. And it is, in terms of that shared decision-making, things do happen more efficiently and ultimately for the, the betterment of the care of the horse. Um, yeah. The one thing... I, we, we definitely wanted to talk about was that you're running this really interesting study right now, examining the client expectations of equine veterinarians. Uh, we're going to include a link in the show notes to this. So, and we would encourage our listeners to go and fill this uh, survey out. If you are a horse, horse owner or a rider, or maybe a groom, um, I think the data that's going to come from the study is for sure going to be really important, but uh, can you just explain a little bit more about the study uh, it accounts yeah. and what you're looking for? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, we have identified in a previous study seven different aspects that are important um, for clients regarding um, a veterinary care. The only thing that we don't know, I will just name them um, in a few seconds, but we don't know is what is most important when and for whom. So the seven aspects that we identified are uh, quality of care, Quality of service. So quality of care is everything regarding um, veterinary techniques, diagnosis, um, uh, how to perform an injection, how to perform certain treatments, those kind of things. We have quality of service. So that is how easy is it to access a veterinarian? Um, how's their website? Do they pick up the phone? Um, can you get the veterinarian on site you, you like best? or well, how easy is it to make an appointment? Can you park your truck? All those kinds of things. Everything surrounding service. Uh, horsemanship. Um, of course, interpersonal skills. Uh, we also have uh, transfer of knowledge, cost of service, and um, uh, professional the professional attitude. So professionalism of the veterinarian, um, respect for owners. Um, and uh, you have a trustworthy relationship. Um, so we have those seven aspects. I hope I didn't forget one. Um, but 
we now want to know what is most important in which situation. We know that the equine um, industry as a whole is hugely divided in all sorts of groups of people. So we ask a lot of demographics about what you do with your horse. Are you professional? Are you non-professional? How many horses do you own? Do you uh, enter competitions and at what level? So we want to know all, all sorts of things about what you're doing with your horse. Um, maybe good to know that the study is completely anonymous. You are not even able to leave an email address uh, <laughs> unless you type it in an open text field somewhere <laughs> because it, we want it to be we want people to be as honest as they can be. Um, and we give them uh, we give horse owners four scenarios. So we do an annual vaccination, an uh, emergency colic, uh, a horse that jumps a fence and gets lame and doesn't get better, and a pre-purchase examination. And what we want to know is if there is a difference, maybe there's not, but if there's a difference in what is important in these different situations. So do people expect different things from us as veterinarians, for instance, in an emergency or when they're buying a horse? We in here in Holland are huge, uh, hugely buying and selling horses. Uh, so we do as a veterinarians a lot of pre-purchase examinations. What is most important for people in pre-purchase examinations, and what do they do? Do they do they do pre-purchase examinations, or do they ask their trainer to check the horse, or um, when the horse is lame, do you call your vet, or do you do do you check with the stable mate? What? Just tell us what you do. And um, to be able to, when we know what you do and know what you expect, we will be much more, um, well, we, we will be helped to know how we can meet those expectations. And we can help veterinarians, again, in um, doing a better job. And maybe even having more fun in their job when you know what people expect from you. That's awesome. I can't wait to have you back on to just to, to discuss the results of the study. And, next year, next year. Then we have a... <laughs> <laughs> because we're all also going to be asking um, veterinarians the same questions. That's great. I think yeah. um, the, the sort of goal of our podcast is to bridge the gaps between science and horsemanship. And by collecting data and analyzing it in the way that you're attempting to you're looking at a problem that I think that we tend to try and solve with sort of anecdotal evidence, uh, which is very important and has a place. Um, but you're trying to apply some, you know, quantifiable, um, statistically relevant uh, information to it. And hopefully that really will help us to um you know, solve solve some of the problems that we've discussed today, as well yeah. as, you know, I, I maybe identify some that, you know, are being missed and, and really build uh, a better, more sustainable relationship, both for veterinarians and for um, horse owners in the future. So yeah. it's really yeah. exciting yeah. Uh, to see what you're working on. Yeah. And hopefully everybody wins. I think um, hopefully it will help veterinarians have more fun or a more pleasurable job and in the end i hope we can deliver better care i think if we know what people want and what they want with their horse and what they expect we will be able to to help these horses because i think that's what we're in this for all of us is because we want to do the best thing we can for our horses and help them as best as we can and we can only do that if we understand the people that are taking care of them for sure like those are 
just such important points. And it's, as Nicole said, really, really exciting to see this work being done. And we can't wait uh, for it to be published and to get out there into the world. Uh, I, I know that you're super busy and we're running to, out of time with you, but we do have one final question. And it's a little bit unique to our podcast and a little bit uh, silly, maybe. But if you could talk directly to a horse and they would understand what you're telling them, what would you want to tell a horse? What do you wish they knew? Um, oh, um, that's a good question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is thank you. I think we all owe a lot to our horses and they give us so much and they barely ever complain. They are so forgiving for all our mistakes. Um, they're always happy to see us. They're always willing to do their job for us as good as they can. Um, horses have brought me to the most special places and meeting the most special people. Um, so I think I owe a lot to the horses. So I think thank you would be uh, maybe the best thing. And forgive me for everything that I probably done wrong at some point in my career. But um, no, I think that would be it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've learned a lot. As Tim said, we will have a have a link to the survey in our show notes. So we really hope that everybody listening uh, before, what is the closing date for that, Itika? Um, I think we'll, we'll, be, we'll, we will be closing in two weeks or something. Okay. So everybody listening, uh, give or take the month of October, 2022, uh, be sure and go and and take that survey. Um, Your perspective is as valuable as anyone else's. So please go do that. And thank you again for your time. It was really a pleasure. You're welcome. The sponsor of today's episode is Barn Manager. Barn Manager provides easy-to-use management software that enables barns to improve their record-keeping, scheduling, communication, and business management. With offerings starting at $10 a month, Barn Manager offers solutions for any size stable. Barn Manager is designed for barn managers by barn managers. They communicate with their users on a regular basis to see how their platform can grow and improve. Thanks to customer feedback, Barn Manager is preparing to launch invoicing, payment processing, and revenue tracking tools as part of a new subscription offering called Barn Manager Pro. Find more information on their website and sign up for a personal live demo to learn how Barn Manager can meet your barn's needs. Barn Manager also has a special offer for our listeners. Sign up for a free trial of Barn Manager at www.barnmanager.com and enter code PODCAST10 for 10% off the first three months of your subscription. Go and check it out and we'll have more details in a link to our podcast. So I really enjoyed this episode with Itika. I had the chance to sit down with her last week when I was over in Europe, actually. Um, and it was myself, uh, another veterinarian, Dr. Yope uh, Lomans, and uh, a high-performance groom, uh, Nana Nyman. And I think we ended up being there for two and a half hours just talking about all these concepts. And it's it's so critical when you think about the horses and athletes to make sure that you have a team around them from the the rider, the trainer, the owner, the groom, the veterinarians, the therapist, the farrier, and so on, that you have that team that everyone knows what job they have. Uh, The communication is at a high level. So you're making sure that no information is being lost. 
because um, that's really when you can create magic with a horse and put them in the best position to be successful. Uh, and I think that the work Itika is doing and, and her approach to better facilitating this communication is uh, a real game changer for the sport, for the industry. And I have no doubt that it's going to translate into better horse welfare, uh, better welfare for the clients and for the veterinarians. And uh, I think we're going to look back on this in 10 years and realize how great the impact was on the industry. Yeah, I really can't wait to have Itika back to talk about the results of her her current study, um, which again, you can find the link to that survey in our show notes. Please be sure to go and fill it out. Um, it won't take too much time. And again, if you're listening to this after October 2022, it's probably closed at this point, but um, everybody else that uh, is in that window should definitely uh, take a quick pass and and fill it out because your perspective matters and it's valuable. Um, I, I also really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I, um, I learned a lot. I think one of my biggest takeaways was, uh, the importance of, of listening, uh, across the board, not just hearing, but listening both, um, you know, in terms of the, the inner workings of a practice and, um, you know, encouraging and developing young veterinarians and supporting them in their life, both, you know, professionally and personally, as well as in building, you know, the relationships and the boundaries with clients so that um, you can really have that strong team work that you just described that is so important to, um, you know, providing the best for our horses. You can find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.sporthorsepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sport Horse Series. Please take a minute to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this episode. That helps other people find us. And you can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Just go to the App Store and search Horse Radio Network. Here's to keeping your sport horse happy and healthy.